I want to ask you a question, and I want you to just think about the answer for a bit. Don't, don't answer right away in your mind. Just think for a moment. If you could summarize the Bible in just one word, what word would you choose? What word best sums up the, the message of the Bible? Think about that for just a moment. And while you're thinking, I want to share with you a story. In the late 300s AD, so, so 300 years after the life of Jesus, a young North African man was, was troubled by his own struggle with sin, his own uh, emptiness that all the various philosophies that he had studied just couldn't fill. He sought pleasure in all the different ways that he could think of, and it all left him empty, even more empty than when he started. And so he began to look for meaning in in different places, different ways of approaching the world, and all of these things just left him more confused and depressed than he was before. Finally, he came to a, a crisis moment. He understood only one thing for sure, and he understood that he was a hopeless mess. He was in such internal agony that he just ran out of the house, out into the courtyard. He didn't even know where he should go or, or what to think. And then he heard a voice. It was a child's voice, maybe a girl or, or maybe a little boy, chanting, take it and read, take it and read. And at first he thought, well, there's some kind of a children's game, but then he realized he didn't know any children's game that had those words to it. So he took it as a command to himself. And he he went into the house, he found the first Bible he could, he opened it up, and he started to read right away. And it was in this moment, in this struggle, that he read Romans 13, verses 13 and 14, this passage we're going to look at this morning. And his life was transformed forever. He became a believer in Jesus right at that moment. This man would go on to become one of the greatest leaders in Christianity and in Western philosophy in the history of the world. The person I'm talking about is Augustine. You may pronounce his name Augustine or Augustine. He doesn't care. He's not here. Uh, I think the only difference is how country you are. Augustine or Augustine makes no difference. But for Augustine, for Augustine, his life was transformed and he, when he encountered Jesus Instead of living for himself the way he had been doing, he began to, to live for others. He spent his whole life transforming other people. His, his thoughts, his writings have shaped Christianity for centuries now. And his whole life he spent time trying to just boil things down to what's most important and to pass those things on to other people. And as we continue our series called Messy this week, boy, what a, what a great deposit we had last Sunday from Adam Bonus and the interaction that he shared about Jesus and the rich young ruler that just highlights how messy you and I are, all the way down to our core, to our very heart. And in this series, we've really just been exploring one key idea, this idea that occurs ten times throughout the Bible. We've looking at this command to love your neighbor as yourself. And it's been called the greatest commandment because that's how Jesus himself sums up the the law and the prophets. In other words, the entire Old Testament really summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. And a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the very beginning of this idea, the way this idea starts in the Old Testament. We looked at the book of Leviticus, the first time this command appears. And you may remember that we said at that time that the law, the, the law that God gave to Moses, you know, the Ten Commandments, all that stuff, it was all designed to show us who God is, what things God values, things like justice, things like truth, 
things like mercy. And one of the things that God values is love, love for other people. And if that's what God values, then that's what we should value as well. This is such an important idea for our church because we're such an important church in this valley. Trinity has a unique role to play in this valley. It's a valley that's full of religion. It's full of churches. But it's a valley that's desperately in need of gospel impact. That should break our hearts because there's so many churches, so many people that that, that distort the, the, the gospel or add to the gospel in dangerous ways. And there's so many people whose lives are at stake. And I'm not saying we do everything right all the time, and we're messy people. But we have an amazing opportunity, and we have a critical burden to carry the gospel message to the valley. We've got good news that's really good news. It's not weighed down by following this set of rules or, or that set of rules. It's good news that's just good news. It's such good news, it's hard for people to believe. It doesn't demand anything of you. It's so freeing. And we've got a unique role in this valley to carry that good news with us. Transform people, transforming the valley. And so this morning, I want us to to take up and read the Bible in the exact same place that Augustine did. This is a passage that transformed him, and I think it can transform us. Let's look at Romans chapter 13. We're going to start in verse 8. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. Whatever other commandment there may be are all summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So this passage begins with a, a summary of the law. Remember, the law was, was the first place this, uh, this idea appears, to love your neighbor as yourself. And here Paul, who wrote the book of Romans, he's referencing that summary. But it goes on, he goes on to summarize the summary. He boils it down to just one word, one critical idea. Look at verse 9 again. Whatever other commandments there may be, they're all summed up in this one rule, love your neighbor as yourself. So so all the commandments, all the do's and the don'ts, they're all summed up in one. Love your neighbor as yourself. But then Paul doesn't stop there. He goes on to summarize that summary, boils it down even more, right to the heart of the idea. Look at verse 10. Love does no harm to its neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. At the heart of this idea is love. Love your neighbor. It all boils down to love, this very straightforward idea. You could say the entire message of the Bible is summed up in that one word, love. And we spent time at the very beginning of this series defining love. And the way we said it is simply this, that love is actively showing God to other people. That's a good way for us to think about biblical love. It's, it's us allowing God to show himself through us, really. Love is active. That's a key part of it. We've got to do something. But we recognize that love doesn't come from us. It doesn't start with us because God himself is love. All that he does is love. And, and the love that we have, the love that we could share with other people, it, it doesn't start with us. It starts with God. And when we love, we're just actively showing God to other people, whether that's our, our spouse, our kids, our mother, our neighbor. So loving our neighbor just means we actively show God 
to other people. And here in Romans, Paul tells us that love is the fulfillment of everything. It all starts and ends with love. He calls love the fulfillment of the law. Again, the law was designed to show us who God is, what he's like, what are his values. And they all show up right here in the law. And the fulfillment of all of those things is love. That's what it all boils down to. And a couple of weeks ago, we said that that love, the kind of love that transforms the valley, it starts with us loving ourselves, our own community, our own faith family. And the New Testament writers, they pick up this idea of love your neighbor as yourself, and they expand that idea of neighbor a little bit. We heard that last week even, as Jesus is teaching his disciples to to, to give themselves fully, because that's how God loves each and every one of us. And Paul expands this idea. Neighbor, in this passage in Romans, it just means other people. You can see that in verse 8. He says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. So the kind of love that's the fulfillment of the law is love for other people. Not just for ourselves, but love that, that walks out this door and begins to transform the valley. And today, as we're boiling things down, as we get to the essence of things, I want us to to do that. I want us to talk about what this kind of love looks like. How do we take God's love for us out the door, out to other people? How do we, as transformed people, go about transforming the valley? So we have a very simple outline for our time this morning. We're going to explore the what, the how, and the when of this kind of love, loving our neighbor. So for the what... I want us to look at the last portion of this passage. Look at verse 13. Let us behave decently, as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the, sinful, the desires of the sinful nature. So as it turns out, this passage, Romans 13 Verses 13 and 14, it was not only God's means of of leading Augustine to faith in Christ, it was also a summary of his life. Verse 13 describes who he was, a person bent on self-gratification, self-seeking pleasure. And yet verse 14 describes what he became, putting on Christ, clothing himself in Christ. He, He lived such a promiscuous life all throughout his youth. He describes some of that in his autobiography, and interestingly is entitled Confessions. He says he even felt God pressing on him to be saved, and he would reply, presently, lo, presently. In other words, not yet, not yet. He would argue with God, saying, leave me a little while. He wanted to live his own path, do his own thing a little while longer. He he avoided God. He ran away from conviction for years. But after he was saved, he became one of the most influential Christian theologians of all time. He was a transformed person, and then he went on to transform the whole world. One of the heroes of his life, one of the heroes of his story, is his own mother. In his autobiography, he details how much she prayed for him. She begged him to change. But mostly, she shared the gospel with him. It's a a fitting tribute for Mother's Day, perhaps. This, This gospel message that she shared with him, that's what sits behind these verses, this It's the story of transformed people. You used to be like this, but Jesus can make you like this. This gospel message, that's the what of love. What does it mean to love? Ultimately, 
It, the answer to that is shown by Jesus. He saw messy people, as messy as the description that we have here, and he was willing to go to the cross for us. Not because of something we had done, but in spite of what we had done. We brought messiness at its worst. Sin and selfishness, immorality of all kinds, and he still brought love. It's the ultimate expression of God's love. Jesus was willing to die for our sake, to reconcile us to God, to bring messy people into a relationship with God. And if we're going to be transformed people who, who transform the valley, one of the things we've got to do is we've got to get the gospel, really realize the extent of our sin, our own messiness, and the great cost to Jesus. We have to come face-to-face with our sin, past and present, and what it cost Jesus to reconcile us. We're going to have a chance to remind ourselves of that cost as we commemorate the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf in just a few moments. But, but we cannot lose sight of that. The gospel applied to our lives is the ultimate expression of love. That's what we want to carry to other people. So the what of love is the gospel, which means that the what is really a who. Jesus is the ultimate expression of love. He's at the core of the gospel. His sacrifice is love for us. And we've got to be people who are not only transformed by that sacrifice, that message of love, but who are willing and even desperate to go and transform other people. And that leads us to the how. How do we, messy people though we are, how do we go about transforming the valley, showing God to other people? carrying this, this message of ultimate love, this gospel message to those who need it the most. Well, this passage tells us exactly how. Look again at verse 14. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. So we clothe ourselves with Christ. Literally, this verse tells us to, to put on Jesus if we're going to actively show God to others, we've got to actively have God in our lives. And the way to do that is just this, to, to put on Jesus. This word that Paul uses in verse 14 to, for putting on the Lord Jesus or clothing yourself, it's the Greek word induo. It's a very descriptive word. It means to put on or clothe oneself, just like it says, but, but it carries this idea of, of sinking into something luxurious, just sinking into your clothing. And there's a picture, a picture I'm going to show you that you're going to think it's been photoshopped, but my understanding is that it's not. It's a legit photo. You don't have to believe me. That's okay. But, but my understanding is that it has not been modified. This is a picture of a celebrity, a musician, Lenny Kravitz. And he's walking down the street, and it must have been a little chilly that day, a brisk fall morning, because Lenny grabbed a scarf on his way out the door. Maybe some of you know where this is going, but... Lenny's got this scarf, and he just kind of threw on the scarf. You know the way you do. He put it on, if you will. And let's just say it was a really bold fashion choice. Take a look. I'm not sure if, if Lenny put on that scarf or if that scarf put on Lenny. But either way, it's a good picture of what's happening in this verse. We're putting on Jesus in the same way that Lenny puts on a scarf. A good way to think about it is that we just disappear into Jesus. He's this, this clothing that we sink into, so we, we disappear so that he can show up. Just like John the Baptist says when he first meets Jesus, he must become greater and I must become less. It's the same idea here. We disappear so that Jesus can appear. 
That's how we're going to transform the valley. This daunting task, uh, we're not going to do it on our own. We disappear and let Jesus love through us. He's going to do it. So we talked about the what. We talked about the how. Spreading the ultimate message of love to our neighbor, the gospel message is the what and the how. We do it not in our own power, but by clothing ourselves with Jesus. And there's one more thing to talk about, the the when. And for the when, I want us to look at the middle section of this passage in Romans. Look at just one more verse, verse 11. And do this understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber. Because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The when is now. There's a sense of urgency here. Paul challenges us to understand the present time. And that's not an invitation to to sit and examine the present time until we understand it. It's not an invitation to stop and learn and dissect and discuss the way things are. Or to sit around and, and wish that things were different the way they used to be. It's not an invitation to form a study group or quietly ponder the present time. It's a call to action. There's urgency here. It says the hour has come. If we're going to transform our valley, we've got to get started. We've got to wake up from our slumber. But you don't have to just take my word for it, or Paul's word for it. You don't have to just listen to us. I'm going to let somebody else talk to you about the urgency I'm going to let an atheist tell you how important it is for us to be sharing the gospel with other people and how important it is to be doing it with urgency. You may know the name Pin Gillette. Pin is half of the famous magical act Pin and Teller. And he's a funny guy. He's a talented magician. And he's also really good at something else. He's a really outspoken atheist. No qualms about sharing his philosophical opinion. He's a, he's a staunch atheist. And that's what makes this video that I'm about to show you so powerful. Because what you're about to see is Penn, this polished performer who has things all figured out in a very unguarded moment. I mean, nobody's putting him on the spot. Nobody's forcing him to answer a really awkward interview question, anything like that. It's just a video he made on his own. And you can see the honesty, just unguarded honesty in this video. So this is Penn, in his own words, sharing a message that you and I need to hear. Take a look. I want to talk to you about this. Uh, I get home from the show, and at the end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we, uh, we talk to folks and, you know, sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the um, what I call the hover position after I was all done. Big guy, probably about my age. Big guy. And... Um, he had been the, um, the guy who has uh, picks the joke during our psychic comedian section of the show. Uh, so we had the props from that in his hand because we'd give those away. He had the, uh, the joke book and the, and the envelope and the paper and stuff. If you haven't seen the live show, uh, it's not worth explaining. But he had props from the show that we'd given him from the night before. Uh, he wasn't the guy that night. And he walked over to me and he said... Um, I was here last night at the show, and uh, uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted. And he was very complimentary about my use of language and um, complimentary about you know honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff. No reason to go into it. He said nice stuff. 
And then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon pocket edition. Um, I thought it said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Or, uh, Psalms from the New just part of the New Testament. A little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane. I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive. And he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me. And then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell, and people could be going to hell, or not getting eternal life, or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this, because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, and that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually, this guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, like your show and so on, and then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, But I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man. And uh, that's really important. And with that kind of goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man, that was a good man who gave you that book. That's all I wanted to say. He mentions in the video that this man made eye contact with him, obviously an important idea for Penn. And I think it's really interesting because this person just saw Penn for what he was. He's a person, not a project, just a person who needs the gospel message. And I think probably what Penn saw in this man's eyes was the Holy Spirit at work. Uh, It's a gesture that obviously made a big impact on Penn and hopefully an eternal impact. 
But I hope that this video inspires us to a real sense of urgency. I mean, the gospel message is great news. It's the best news there could ever be. God is love, and he shares that love with messy people. It's the the ultimate expression of love for other people. And we get to carry that message. We get to, to put on Jesus, just disappearing into our relationship with him, letting his spirit work through us and love through us. And we do it with urgency, knowing that our valley is in desperate need of this kind of love. Our valley is full of messy people. And we're never going to change the way that our community sees the church until we start to change the way the church sees our community. We've got to realize we're just as messy as everybody else. We love with urgency that gets outside these doors with the message of grace. So we, we got the market cornered on grace. Everybody needs grace, and we know exactly where to find it. I was at a conference the other day, and uh, one of the people that I heard from was an executive with Chick-fil-A. In case you don't know, Chick-fil-A is a fast food chain restaurant, and uh, it's owned and run by Christians, so they try to bring Christian values to, to what they're doing, not just to their food, but to their, their customer service as well. And this executive said something that really stuck with me. He said their, their customer service goal is to improve the story of all the people they come in contact with. To improve the story of all the people they come in contact with. I thought, what a great goal. I mean, that should be our goal too. Taking the message of grace to our neighbors, actively showing God to other people, improving the story of everybody we come in contact with. That's how we transform the valley. And transforming the valley, it it starts with us being transformed ourselves. And for those of us who are believers, who've been transformed through this gospel message, sometimes it's necessary to remind ourselves of that, to to sort of preach to ourselves first before we carry the message of grace to others. And, And Jesus himself gave us a way to remember what he's done for us. He knew we would need reminding, we would take need to take time to recenter ourselves, to realign ourselves with the truth of what Jesus has done. And on the night before he was arrested, Jesus dined with his disciples, but beyond just sharing a meal, Jesus used the opportunity to teach them one more time. He instructed them with a way to commemorate what he was about to do, to die on their behalf. It was at the same meal that he washed their feet as an act of love and then encouraged them to love one another. And as they shared this meal together, Jesus prepared them to commemorate this next act of sacrificial love that he was about to demonstrate, his own death on the cross. And so as we partake in the Lord's Supper this morning, let's allow this event to remind us of what Jesus has done for us. And as we partake, if you're uh, here this morning, we want you to know this table's open to anyone who has a personal relationship with Jesus. If you've turned to Christ as your Savior, as the forgiver of your sins, you're welcome to participate. If that's not a decision you can point to in your life, then I'd encourage you just to use this time to reflect on the love that Christ has demonstrated for the whole world, and, and especially for you. Reflect on God's provision in your own life. Nobody's going to think anything less of you if you just stay in your seat and use this time to think In just a moment, uh, we'll pray and we'll uh, gather at one of the tables here. You can gather with your friends, your family, or your fellow messy people. If you're unable to get to one of the tables, that's fine. Just raise your hand and, and we'll have somebody bring the elements to you.
Communion was created by Jesus as a way for his followers to commemorate what he's done for us, to commemorate God's love, the the who and the what of God's love. And the bread and the juice, they represent the body of Jesus broken, the blood of Jesus poured out to pay the penalty for our own sins. As the Bible tells us, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread And after giving thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. God, we can't be anything but humbled as we think about what you've done for us. As we think about the the limits of our own love, maybe the the links that we might go to for some other person, uh, and, and we realize how far short of your love we fall each and every day. And yet your love is a love that, uh, that reaches back, that reaches down to us, that picks us up, that clothes us with your righteousness, that gives us your love and grace so that we can be transformed people. What an amazing thing it is to think about that. And Lord, we don't want this transformation to only stop with us. We want it to be an urgent message that we carry to each and every person that we come in contact with, Lord, improving other people's story, transforming this valley one person at a time. But it starts with us recentering ourselves in you, finding the truth about who you are in this very physical and tangible way that you've given us to remind ourselves, Lord. So I pray that you would use this time to penetrate our hearts, to, to encourage us, to, to lift us up once more and give us the deep love that can only come from you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.